All right, stay tuned to our podcast today. We have an amazing show where we're lucky enough to have Aaron and Michael on, a couple who very early in their relationship had to go through a significant health crisis for both of them. And we talk about how that bonded them together, but also how it presented challenges and how they learned a lot about each other very early on. So it's a very compelling story. They really open up in a vulnerable way, and I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of it. So stay tuned. Hello, all, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And my name is EJ Kerwin. Thank you for tuning in today and listening to our episode. We're always thankful when we have guests on to learn from their experience, and we can take that and learn healthy relationship skills. Absolutely. And we really want to dive in right away because we're lucky enough, again, to have a couple on. And I know we get feedback from our audience, like just how useful it is to hear the stories of what couples go through because of the fact that like, you know, we're all individuals, our relationships are different, but there are themes, you know, there or there are things that just like, wow, I really connect with that couple. Like that was so useful to hear. That made me feel like I'm normal too. Like I'm not alone in this. And so, you know, we're lucky enough to have, first of all, Erin, who's uh, who works here at Relationship Renovation. She's a therapist with us. She's also, she is a mom and she is a, uh, and she is a partner to a person she loves. And we're here with her partner, Michael who's also a father and uh, they have a blended family, which is another thing that, you know, a lot of couples out there are are sort of working with in their lives. And um, welcome, welcome, Michael and Aaron. How are you guys? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing okay. Doing great. Really appreciate being here. Yeah, it's fun to have you guys. And our topic today is couples who go through health crises together. And what's unique sort of about your story is that at different points in your relationship, both of you have gone through that. And, you know, we normally ask it this question, hey, tell us about the beginning of your relationship. And Aaron, you were telling me earlier today, like, I mean, it really feeds right into this topic today because it's a part of how you got together, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Michael and I started dating right after I turned 40. And for those of us women, uh, we know that 40 and all of the wellness checks that come along with that (laughs) includes your very first mammogram. Mm -hmm. And right around the time we started dating, I got the call that, hey, we noticed something on your mammogram. We need you to come back. And then, yeah, there's still something there. And so we're going to just do a biopsy. And I think that was probably like the first week we were dating because I remember like, do I tell him? Do I not? So I sat down with him and I was like, so I need to say something. And you're not allowed to have feelings you're about this. Not allowed this. to have feelings <laughs> <laughs> because it's just a test. Already it's just a test. Control. No. <laughs> But two weeks after we started dating, I got a call from my doctor that I had breast cancer. And so I called him again and we went for a walk Mm -hmm. and I was like, hey, you can tap out. I don't know what's to come, but you can tap out. And uh, he said no. Yeah. Yeah, So because we had 
our children weren't kind of integrated into my relationship quite yet. We just started. Sure, you just, we just that. Yeah, we decided to, I said, hey, do you want to go meet at the park? So we met at the park. And I didn't know at the time, like, because she got the call, but you were just about to get to the park. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was like, oh, okay, we're just going to go to hang out at the park, have a nice walk. And I see her in tears. Mm. And she just is breaking down. And we take a walk. And exactly what she said, she explained it to me. And I saw the fear. And again, it's a lot to take in when you just started dating somebody, you know? Absolutely. But I had already connected with her. I already felt like this is my person. This is who I want to be with. And so I didn't hesitate um, when she said, you know, I know this is a lot and you didn't sign up for this. And so if you want to, if you want to tap out, like she said, you can. And it wasn't even a question. I said, I'm going to be there to support you. Mm. My thought was, I don't know because I, I, my mom had dealt with cancer and beat it. But, you know, I said to myself, well, if, if she doesn't have long, I don't know what the full diagnosis would be. I'm going to be there. I want to spend whatever time I have with her yeah. and be there and support her. So what was that like, Aaron? I mean, for you, like, hey, you just start dating this guy. You've been with him for two weeks. And he's like, and you're sharing, first of all, something like really vulnerable. But then also he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm staying. I'm staying. Um, it was really overwhelming. And just at that point, it was like, it really solidified my, like, he was somebody I could count on. Um, my feelings of just feeling just trust and strength in a lot of ways would like to add that I was also sitting there apologizing for just ugly crying everywhere. There was nothing <laughs> cute about those tears. I was a mess. <laughs> the first ugly cry Michael has uh, <laughs> you do. <laughs> Two weeks in. Understandably so, though. Yeah. So, okay, so you, you, you meet at the park. You've been dating two weeks. You decide like, hey, I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna support this individual. Was it easy for you to take that support? Was it easy for you to say like, I want to be in a new relationship and also be struggling with, you know, my survival and ca- cancer? Uh, not exactly. And one of the things about that time, again, in our relationship, it was st- we were still new throughout that, so it afforded me some space. Um, so we were dating, we would see each other a few evenings a week, maybe spend the weekend together. Mm -hmm. He would stop by and say good morning to me on his way to work almost every day, which was wonderful. (laughs) But when I just felt awful, I could call if I wanted support, if I wanted him around, but I could also just be... A noodle is what we would I would, I would say. I'm just I just need to be a noodle today, and I could just lay around and not be thinking about another person or a way. You know, I could just be focused on myself during that. Yeah. For you, Michael, like how how do you think it affected beginning this relationship with Aaron? Well, you know, again, there was no question of me signing on for it, but what comes with that was you know foreign territory. There was a lot of I knew that she would just go down this rabbit hole of these dark thoughts, obviously, you know, especially when she didn't know the full treatment, what was going to happen. 
this is before the biopsy came back, right? And so we didn't have an outline of her treatment quite yet. So there were times where I just held her mm. and tried to be supportive. And I knew, you know, as men, sometimes we feel like we can fix everything, you yes. know? And I knew like this was not something I could fix. I didn't have the right words. All I could do was just lay with her in her silence and hold her and just try to be there for her. I think silence was her best friend at times. Did you have to tell him? Did you have to let him know? That I needed, um, sometimes, I mean, because we didn't live together, yeah, sometimes I would say, you know, I'm having a really hard day. Can you just come over and hold me? And and that was, that was a thing. Other times, if he was mm. there, he was just this supportive presence. Like, he would come over and I would curl up and go to sleep and like roll over with one eye and he'd just be sitting there reading something or watching something or it was just really nice when he was there just to know he was just present yeah. and there for me. What's really sticking out for me is just how very real it got very quickly. Yes. And how, you know, you didn't get to have that like wooing each other and doing all the like, oh yeah, I I love this and this is, yeah, it was just like, here we are. Mm -hmm. Our early dates were, you know, showing up with a breakfast burrito after chemo or yeah. like sitting on the sofa until I, until I crashed watching a movie because I just wasn't up for a lot of going out and about. Yeah. We did try to do something fun. Like the, my best night was always the night before my next round of chemo because I was finally healed and recovered. So we would try to do something that night. Um, and then the next day, it would all start over again. I think one of the things, we were talking about vulnerability and stuff, when I lost my hair. Mm. And I found out much later, he noticed it before I did. But I started losing handfuls of hair. And I just, I remember noticing like where now I had bald spots. And calling him and saying, I need you to come over tonight and shave my head. It was just, there was no, it was an absolute for me. I just, I couldn't mm -hmm. handle the in-between. It needed to be gone. Wow. And she looks great with no hair. Like <laughs> She's she, a good bald Yeah, bald like Sigourney Weaver kind of coolish, <laughs> aliens kind of. How, like, I have goosebumps right now thinking you've been dating for two weeks and then probably, what, just a couple months in, here you are going over to Erin's house to shave her head for cancer treatment. Yeah, I remember um, went over to her house and she had had a, a haircutting party where she trimmed her hair shorter in um, anticipation for it falling out because of the chemo. And I remember running my hand through her hair and she had a little bit of hair loss, but this, a clump came out in my hand mm. and I could not tell her. I let it fall on the ground. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking, how do I tell her? Because, you know, yeah. women's hair is a lot different than, sure. than it is for us men. And, you know, she kind of turned and she went like this. And she saw someone on her shoulder and then she reached back and it was like, oh my goodness, like it was coming out. Yeah. But um, yeah, that for me, I felt just so bad for her because, you know, but she handled it very, very well. Yeah. And, and that's another thing is her strength through this, through going through chemo and the radiation. I mean, she was still working. She was still working. She was still 
managing her household. She was, you know, that's Aaron. That's you, you she, got she to just see that stop. fighting spirit very early on, which you already said it was very natural that the moment you met her, she was like your person. But here you get to see like the strength of someone in one of the most scary existential yeah. times. But also too her vulnerability as well. Yeah. Like she mm. wasn't afraid to be vulnerable with me. And I really saw that as a strength for her yeah. as well. Well, it's interesting because you went through the honeymoon period of your relationship in an extremely challenging, you know, with an ex extremely challenging dynamic going on. You know, so there was this excitement of like meeting this person who you're like amazed by, which already happens even when like life is bland. Mm -hmm. But then you're in that honeymoon period and this person, for both of you, it sounds like they're like, wow, this guy is like so supportive and loving and present and showing up for me when he could totally bail. And here's this woman who's like going through this incredibly hard time and yet she's still like a hard worker, but also was like, is able to be vulnerable with me. Like this must have been like, just a, like, a, I'm thinking of like, you know, like cement as it like oh, yeah. cures, right? Like that the two of you must have just like- It was, yeah. And, and I think in the beginning of a new relationship, there's a lot of physical intimacy, um, a lot mm -hmm. of physical passion. There was for us at the very beginning, but I have to understand like there were days where I knew she was feeling nauseous and weak. Oh, sure. And so you have to switch to a different kind of physical intimacy, mm. which is just the holding and the touching and the being supportive. The non-sexual. So yeah, so I think that that helped again, you know, even made the bond even stronger for me. When you're kind of leaving Aaron's home or, you know, and you're kind of, you're in your experience, what was happening for you? Because I know you're trying to be strong for Aaron and provide that emotional safety for her so she can be whoever she needs to be through this, you know, difficult time. But what was happening for you? I, I just felt like I wish I could do more. Um, I think I'm consider myself like I've always tried to be the fixer of relationship where, you know, my personality is to build, to fix, to figure out how, how things are going wrong. And so to just surrender that and, and just be supportive and not like, cause I knew I couldn't fix the situation and I can't say the right words to her. Um, so, you know, leaving that and going back to, you know, my life, you know, like going back to my kids and, it would. I would. I would worry about it. I was constantly, yeah, texting her. But I wanted to make sure that again, like I knew that she needed space too, and she had support from all her friends, you know, from her family. So I wanted to leave room for that as well. Yeah. So, so how long did your treatment go on? I had four rounds of chemo and like a month of radiation. So, um, and my surgery was in April. And then they, they took the month of August off. So I was in going through chemo from like May through July. And they took the month of August off for me to recover. And I used to say like that was the worst thing ever because it's like I knew I was in for another round another. of stuff. And then I had basically the month of September that I was going through radiation treatments. So almost a half a year going yeah. through. Okay. 
I think it's interesting he said the word surrender because that was something that I felt like was a real theme for me when I shared that I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, A woman who I had always admired a lot, who had also gone through breast cancer treatment, sent me a message. And part of it was, I know it doesn't feel like it now, but cancer is a healer and a teacher you just have to let yourself be open to it. And so Hmm. that was my mantra Mantra. is like cancer is a healer and a teacher. What are the lessons? And so I felt like that was sort of how I went. It was like, oh, this is what my body's doing today. This is how I'm, I have no energy today. I guess that's just what I need to listen to my body and and follow its lead. So So instead of trying to control the outcome just a letting go and what are the lessons here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hour by hour, day by day. So you get through this and like EJ kind of had said, you guys have already been like cemented and really like that backbone of like safety and vulnerability and support has definitely been established fairly early on. So what happens to your relationship kind of following your treatment? So we were starting to integrate our families together, spending more time Mm -hmm. as families. And we decided just before COVID that we should all move in together. And so this is what, six months in or like a year in? This was a year. Okay. This was a year in. And how many kids did you have and how many kids did Michael have? I had two kids at the time they were 14 and 17. Okay. And then Michael? My three kids. I had an older stepson, but he ended up just staying with us for a few weeks. And then he he moved in permanently with his mom. So I brought my three children who I split the the month with. So I have a week on with them, a week off. So they're there every other week. And what were their ages? The boys were both 14. Yeah. My oldest son was 14. So that makes Anakin was 12. And Brooklyn was... Seven or eight. So a dynamic uh, age range of uh, blended family. I'm just thinking the first year, first two weeks, cancer diagnosis, and then let's blend in five children within a year. I'm okay. I'm so excited to hear that. How did that go? It was pretty rough um, (laughs) at the very beginning, just because, you know, again, different lifestyles and going into her household. I didn't want to like impose the way I do things. Like I didn't want to say, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is how we do things. So I kind of just like let her lead the way. And, you know, she had, you know, she's a very like, I make lists and I have assigned chores. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not like that with my children. <laughs> um, so it was kind of to adapt to everything. I think for me, it was easier. I think my children, because they weren't there full time, I think it, it was easier, but there were some times where it was, you know, rough going. Yeah. How did the two of you as a couple handle that blending and the differences? Because here you've been supportive and vulnerable and like holding that space during the cancer treatment. And Well, this is something I would say that we're still a work in progress on. Um, and I Thank think you for the, being honest. I think what he said is really true in terms of like, honestly, we... We had that cemented couple relationship and like we knew we were each other's person. We had each other's back. Like Mm -hmm. that is not a question, but we hadn't had a lot of practice at communicating. How are we going to navigate the stupid stuff? Gotcha. And 
So what he described is like he didn't want to rock the boat. So I was kind of like, okay, well, this is how we do things here. Well, I mean, it didn't work to do that. And so, again, that's something that we're still working on. It's still a work in progress. That's such like an important thing. Whatever the issue is, whether it's blending a family or dealing with in-laws or intimacy or whatever, like that's such an important thing for couples to hear is that like, it is all a work in progress. Like the idea that we just get some like cure, you know, thing that just like solves it is what, what makes a couple work is the willingness to continue working at it, continue trying to figure it out, sort of falling on our faces, you know? Yeah, and we, we've recently discussed that we both avoided difficult conversations, especially when it mm-hmm. came to the kids, because when it comes to your kids, you can take things the wrong way. You know, Absolutely. it could be constructive criticism, but you can see it as they're possibly attacking your style as a parent or your children. Um, there was uh, difficulties at the time with my ex-wife, which brought another layer oh of just problematic issues of stuff that kind of yeah. we pushed to the side that I didn't want to address. I know that she didn't want to address. And so there was a lot of things that should have been said <laughs> that yeah. weren't. And, and sure. as we are working through things, we, we went back and are talking about how difficult, like I understand, like, you know, she would tell me I wanted to say this, but I just didn't want to upset you. I didn't want to rock the boat kind of thing. Yeah. So I think those, as difficult as it is, sometimes you have to have those difficult conversations. But again, I think because we went through so much so fast, you know, those things were avoided. So you're blending the family, you're moving in, you're avoiding the difficult conversations. And so then take us kind of like, do you guys, are you arguing? Are you just like, is there kind of a tension in the air? Like what's the feeling of the avoiding the difficult conversations? Honestly, like we weren't arguing and I don't, it wasn't tension. It was just, I think each of us feeling a little bit underwhelmed or undersat, like uh, less than satisfied with certain things that were going on. And both of us recognizing, but- we love each other. We love each other's kids. Like in the greater, it was like one of those in the greater scheme of things, does this really matter? But yeah. it was, it was definitely uncomfortable. Agitating, like yeah. consistently. Okay. So you guys meet, you fall in love, you go through this really intense sort of existential, you know, crisis going through cancer. Then you blend the family. And it sort of becomes like, okay, this is just the normal agitators of life of like trying to figure out how to make this whole thing work. You're kind of, you know, stumbling your way through it, but it doesn't seem like it's like horrible or anything. Then something else happens, right? Right. Then um, I get diagnosed with cancer, with throat cancer. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I had, prior to meeting her, when allergy season came, my thyroid would kind of swell and it would get a little itchy throat and a little kind of wheezing and harder breathing. But one year it just, my neck started just swelling up and, you know, typical man, uh, no, I'm, I'm fine. fine. I'll, work <laughs> turn on it. I'll walk it off. It'll be fine. Just a um, little swollen lymph node. Yes. Yeah, swollen lymph node. That's what he throat. said. Yeah. And so Aaron was like, look, because what we were gonna go, we were gonna go do something. We were gonna go on. I don't remember. I think but we, I... were, we were gonna try to get away. But she's like, before we do this, 
will you just please for me go get it checked out mm. and so she's like because it's looking pretty bad and i'm like okay so i went to urgent care um urgent care center and they're like oh no you you know looks like you're going to need a scan so they sent me to tmc this was right about the height of covid it was like when covid started taking off so everybody was save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's just, there were no, you know, everybody was in there, masks, you know, full protocol for COVID. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting there like at five o'clock. I checked in. And I didn't get seen until like eight in the morning the next day. And so that whole time I'm sitting there, I didn't have a phone charger with me. I didn't think I was going to be there that long. My phone died. It barely had any service on my watch. And so I, you know, she couldn't be there with me. So I was just there just sitting with a bunch of people mm -hmm. and, you know, waiting. I got my, uh, my scan, MRI, and then they finally called me back into one of the rooms and then the doctor came and saw me and was like uh so yeah we got your scans back and is there anybody that you want to come here to be here because you know it's kind of important news that we have for you <gasps> and i'm like no give <laughs> no, it to me just drop give, it yeah what you got and so they tell me that they went to the scans and, and you know they can't say for sure it was cancer but they were like 85% sure because of where it was developing and where it was at, um, the mass. And so it's like, yeah, you've got uh, a tumor growing in your throat and it's around your esophagus. And um, mm. so we're going, to, we're going to, you know, get you an oncologist and ear, ear, nose and throat doctor. And so I'm like, okay, all right, well. Wow. So I, I remember... I think I, I did, I was I had enough on my phone and I just text her and I did say, hey, we have something else in common. And uh. she's like, what? And I'm like, C word. And I don't know if she had any inclination when I went in, like it might be cancer, mm. but she was like, I don't remember what it, what it said. It was like, oh no, or but. I joked it was like somebody had like put a potato on the side of his like neck. Like it was. Like a goiter. It was, he and he was a big guy. He had a big neck. And so I was like, well, maybe it's just like some, you know, like we, you make all these excuses. Mm. I thought it was like an abscessed something. Yeah. Like, like they just need to like poke a hole in it, let the gunk out and, <laughs> and like we can move on. Yeah. So I wasn't prepared for a cancer diagnosis. Um, but I was glad to have a diagnosis so that we could know what to do next. Yeah. And I, I, I often, when you get those diagnoses and, and before they tell you it's treatable, you're going through that morbid time of unknownness of like the worst. It, exactly. You die. know, I started, you know, and started Googling like, you know, Hodgkin's and different things and, you know, treatments and then what's life expectancy and, you know, it was like six months and I'm like, 
Oh my Am God. I going to have to tell my kids that their dad's going to die in six months? Am I going to have to You just tell go Aaron to the worst. Yeah, you do. And I think, you know, we that's something that we both shared because there was that time where the unknown. Um, so you, what can you say to somebody who is wondering if they're going to die in a few months? You know, because she was there at the time where she didn't know. I didn't know what to say other than it's going to be okay. You know, everything works out. You know, try to be positive. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, again, I went there, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm positive by nature. I'm a very big optimist. So my thing was like, I'll beat it. I ain't gonna worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and- trying to be optimistic yeah. about it. But um, just coming home to her, her having her support me, mm. you know, was really, and again, seeing her go through it. And see what a warrior she was. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I I, I can do this. I can. Do she this. rubbed off on you, and here you guys are, like in the fight of your life. You're now shifting roles from being the patient to the supporter. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you, Erin, to be on the flip side within probably what, like eighteen months or something? Yeah, so it was actually right around the two year mark. So from when I got my cancer diagnosis, it was almost exactly two years to when he got his. It was the most helpless and powerless I've ever felt in my life. And again, you know, as the patient, I could go, you know, ride the wave. I knew my body. I knew the things I could do to take care of my body. I knew, like, when I wanted support, I would ask for it and You know, when I wanted to be left alone, I would ask for it. And so I just remember throughout his treatment so many times feeling like I was just sitting there. Because the other thing is we thought we had this roadmap. You know, we've done chemo. We've done radiation. We know what that looks like. But his experience as a patient was wholly different than mine. Can you help us understand that? Yeah, so... My mindset going into this was, you know, my experience with her, you know, but when I went through the actual treatment plan, it was very aggressive. So again, I was like 230 pounds at the time. So they were, you know, they were saying, well, you've got, you know, you can, you can afford to lose some of that, you know, <laughs> so you're going to, you're going to go and you're going to lose some, some weight and you're going to go through this, but we are going to blast you with very high levels of radiation to eradicate this. And your chemo, your chemo treatment, yeah, your chemo treatment is going to be high as well. Um, So again, though, like seeing her go through it, I knew she had her her noodle days where she just didn't have any energy. Um, But her, the nausea wasn't really that bad with her. Um, So I didn't, I didn't expect. Gotcha. um, did it just it's, knock you on your ass? Just hold- it, it, yeah. So with the first round of radiation, it was like, oh yeah, you know, because you just sit there and it just goes around you. Mm. Um, you really don't feel the effects of it. But the chemo, immediately, like there was ringing in my ears. There was like I, I was losing my sense of taste, and then it just the nausea became unmanageable. It was like they put me on three different things to try to help me. And it was like, it just kept getting worse and worse. Um, And 
you know, for me, I didn't, I tried to fight through it. I took it as a challenge <laughs> and I look at it as a personal challenge, which left her out. So me feeling like, you know, I'm still going to get up. I'm going to, you know, make lunch for my kids because they were home homeschooling because of COVID at the time. Oh, so yeah. I tried to be there. I know I got to be there for my kids. And I kept fighting. And I thought I was doing like, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing my, my, what I'm supposed to do and kind of not putting it all on her to take care of everybody. But that hurt her. You know, she wanted to be there, and I didn't let her. Yeah, I see a nod in your head over there. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I realized early on, and Michael sort of said, like, I had my family, I had my friends, I had all these people sort of rallying around me. I realized really early on that my cancer wasn't my own, and that it was impacting all of these people, and, like, I had to let them in. So, like... I had a schedule. Um, <laughs> I had a schedule where different people took me to different appointments because they really, really, really wanted me to. And I recognized that I got a lot out of that and that my people got a lot out of that. They felt like they could be helpful and that you needed them and they felt important and being right. a part of something that was really hard for you. Yeah. And so I had this expectation going into this treatment that you know, I would be his person. And I even talked to my work and was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what I'm going to need to do, but like, I'm going to need some flexibility. And I took him to one appointment. And he just threw the that 200 pound pack on his own back and was like, I'm carrying this on my own. Well, very quickly, it was not a 200 pound back anymore. <laughs> um, you lost 85 pounds? Wow. 65. Wow. 65 pounds. I don't know. Or maybe, yeah. It was well, I got down to one. You got down to 150. Yeah, 150. Did you ever try to communicate to him like, hey, Michael, I want to be here for you. I want to help you. Yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and um, I think because of, you know, our two different personalities, our two different upbringings, I never had support. Yeah. From, you know, I had a little bit of support from my family, but all, you know, for me, it was always checking it alone, yeah. um, figuring things out on my own. Again, that kind of ego of, of sometimes that we have as men, mm. like I don't want people to see me weak. Yeah, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to show, it wasn't about vulnerability, because I think that I did expose the vulnerability, but it was about like, I need to take care of my responsibilities. I need to take care of her as well. Like, I don't want to be a burden to her. Yeah. So, that was very difficult for me to accept that role. So yeah, and through treatment, I would take myself. And she would always ask me, do you want me to take you? I had friends ask me, let me take you. Mm. And I'm like, no, no, if I can go, I'm going to do it. You know, wow. And I would pull over the side of the road, throw up. You know, I'd have, mm. I had problems with my saliva glands where I would constantly like have to pull over because my mucus would get so thick, I'd have to spit or throw up. So I would like pull off somewhere and throw up and then keep going and just like I had mint leaves with me. I was constantly trying to smell the mint leaves and wow. so there's a lot of stuff I try to do to manage it. I have told her if I God forbid I have to do this again, you know, but I will not do it the same way. Like I will let you in. Yeah. I realize, you know, my stubbornness, my the ego that was driving me towards that. 
like in the end, like it wasn't worth it. And what she was saying earlier about how cancer is a teacher, like it did. It taught me a, it taught me a lot of things about myself. And we've had time where we've talked about my cancer's effect on her, you know, and how alone it made her feel. Mm. And, you know, where she didn't know where her role was, where she fit in, because I didn't let her in. Yeah. Well, and that's a hard place for you to be in, Aaron, right? Because it's like, there's something he's doing that's shutting you out. But because of the circumstances, like, what are you going to do? Like, come down on a guy who's lost 40% of his body mass and he's going through it. And it's like, I can't really bust his chops right now, but I sure as hell probably feel like shaking him up. Um, I put a lot on myself during that time in terms of like, how could I possibly ask for anything of him? You know, like he can't eat real food anymore. He's throwing up almost everything that he does eat. Like the smell of strawberry and sure is like absolutely like a trigger to me now. So, and that's just, that was what I told myself over. Like, how could I possibly ask anything of him? He's putting everything he has into surviving. And that's ultimately what I want too. So we just have to get through this. I mean, and it does just go to show you, like even with a really a cancer diagnosis, like we tend towards, like you said, there wasn't a frame of reference where you are like, you know, accepting support. Like you've always kind of done life by yourself and that that's kind of what felt intuitively what you do because there wasn't this other frame of reference to grab onto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and- I just want to add, and we've talked about this before, that, you know, when someone is diagnosed with cancer and they have the support of a partner, a wife, a husband, you know, we tend to focus on the patient and what they're going through. The flip side to that is the hardship that the partner has to go through. Because there's so many different things you have to navigate Mm. with patience, with understanding, and it does take a toll. And if you guys aren't able to communicate that beforehand or during, it can really bring a lot of stress on the relationship. I know that there's some couples that that don't make it through it. No, absolutely not. And this doesn't really relate to the cancer piece, but I, when we're working with couples in session and one of the partners, let's just say, has a big old ego, sometimes it's more of the male. And when it kind of starts to like strip down and there is like, actually, yes, I do need you. It's like that feeling of like the other partner being like, thank you. Cause I really, really want to support you too. You've supported me through so many things. It's just like that freedom that happens when both are able to be like, yeah, we both need each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, and th- you know, I think that's back to the sort of the lesson of cancer is like that um, sometimes it's hard to learn that lesson unless it's through a cathartic experience, through it's a big mm. experience that that pulls it into focus. It's much harder when it's like, that's a lesson you got to learn. And it's sort of like you're trying to get a grasp on it and your partner's telling you, but yet life is normal. You know, cancer, it seems for you, Michael, was like a real wake-up call of like, wow, I just don't know how to accept support. Yeah, and and before my cancer, five months prior to that, my mom passed away. And I noticed that I kind of did the same thing mm-hmm. with her when my mom passed away. Like I kind of like went into myself yeah. and just like, you know what, I'm going to deal with this. 
And her supportive role is like, okay, I'm going to let you deal with this, even though it's tearing me apart. Yeah. You know, through the, through the cancer, of course, she's not going to say, hey, this is about me. This is how I'm feeling because she's trying to support me. But she has to swallow all of that and it becomes toxic, really? you know, if you don't release that. So it, it took a while for all that to, to get out and for me to know and me to look at it. And it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm so sorry. All of these lessons within such a short time period, I'm just like amazed, overwhelmed, yeah. sad, happy, joyful about <laughs> this story because you just saying that your mom had passed five months before your cancer diagnosis. Can I, did your mom pass of cancer? No, she had okay. ALS. Oh. So we watched the, her decline. Um, she had ALS for eight years. So it was really yeah. slow progressing, but she was staying with my brother and it wasn't, they always said, it's not going to be the ALS that takes your mom. It's going to be something else. And she had to be on a BiPAP machine when she slept and she was getting around in a walker and she actually fell mm. when nobody was there. And she just, my brother found her and she was, she had already passed. And mm. so, yeah, we were dealing with that. Which, you know, you want to say, well, we dealt with ALS, so we knew it'd be any time it could happen. But just when it happened, it was just, it was really difficult. And again, like I kind of went into myself and, you know, again, for me, it was, I don't want her to see me weak. You don't want to be a burden. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to be a burden, exactly. So, so you spend a... a great amount of time early on in your relationship, first couple years, in a lot of intensity, you know, a lot of challenges. I'm thinking that maybe the last year or two has been a little less externally destabilizing. What are the lessons in a period of life now where things are maybe a little more stable that you're integrating and you're working on based upon that early relationship experience? I'd say one of the things, like, I feel like it's actually just been even in the last year that I felt like the dust has settled enough for us to look around and be like, is this really working for us? Like, we were surviving for Absolutely. so much of that those first two years that now we're able to sort of step back a little bit and... I mean, like the example that I even use with my clients about like how we develop dysfunctional patterns when we're surviving is we were sitting one day eating dinner and I looked over at him and I was like, when did we start eating dinner in bed? <laughs> because, and we, we really, I was like, did you eat dinner in bed before you moved in with me? Like, when did this happen? And the only thing that we could figure out was that because during his treatment, he was in bed almost all the like it was hard for him to do anything else that I would make my dinner and come sit down in bed like next to him so that I could have dinner with him. Yeah. Um, and then when he was able to start eating, again, that's just sort of what we started to do. And it and it wasn't until recently that we started to kind of look at some of those things and and recognize that Maybe, you know, maybe this isn't what's the best thing for all of us, 
that we and so we've started just just noticing those. Yeah, uh, the first step is noticing, looking at patterns that were created as a result of those first couple years, at and being storms. like, "Hey, do we need to make some shifts here?" Yeah, and I think that I think we're at a, a point again where there's nothing traumatic happened to either one of us. Where you know now, like we can hurt feelings a little bit. You know, we I we, I can tell her how I feel, except that I've been kind of keeping it and vice versa. You know, we're having these honest conversations and sometimes they're not the easiest conversations to have. No more But avoiding. we come out the other end stronger and more empathetic with the other person. Um, and I think that is very important because I think there have been times where both of us kind of like, held it in to spare the other person's feelings because of what we were going through at the time. Absolutely. So now I think we're just like, we kind of ripped that bandage off and yeah. kind of like, hey, look at it. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of couples who don't have like the storybook beginning to their relationship for a variety of reasons. And I think what that does is is sometimes when things get challenging later on or when they're like, what is normal? They look back and they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, there's like a hopelessness that we never had that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like what you guys are saying that's really positive is like, we went through this like intensity really early on. It did like bond us, but it also created some problems and, and created some systems that now intentionally because we still love one another, we still really want to make this work, we're sort of untangling some knots, you know, and we're we're learning the lessons that we'll learn from those and integrating them into hopefully what is, is a little more of a uh, less bumpy, less storms in your life for a period of time at least. Yeah, I think I think there is some positive and negatives going through what we went through at such an early stage. But you kind of come out the other end saying, you know, for me anyways, it was like, I know that she's got me, like no matter what, yeah. like there, there's some, there's some questions that some couples go through where if things really get bad, is this person really going to stick around there? for me? You know, if I go through my most vulnerable state, how are they going to view me? And I know that, you know, if I need her, no matter what state I'm in, she's going to be there for me. You know, I, she's my rock. And I hope she feels the same way about me. Absolutely. There's That's that awesome. core trust that yeah. no matter what, and life has thrown a shit ton at you, we got this yeah. and we can trust that we have each other's back always. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you guys so much. We thank re you. really appreciate your willingness to come on here and share such a personal story. Absolutely. So happy that you guys found each other and get ready for that honeymoon period. <laughs> 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 we'll have you back on honeymoon period five years in <laughs> all right Tara well uh, again always blessed to have such wonderful guests coming on sharing their stories um, we appreciate all of you out here who are part of our community that's dedicated to personal wellness that's dedicated to relationship wellness uh, we do appreciate when you guys give us a review, where you when you share uh, our podcast with another person. We just know that you know the the more we can be mindful about ourselves and our own personal growth and integrate that with somebody we love, you know, it's just the the base level of communities, and we're just very dedicated to being a part of healing. <laughs>
And again, from my heart, thank you, Erin and Michael. I know that this podcast and our listeners are probably crying. (laughs) And also like, wow, the strength and resilience of that couple bond from very early on is significant. And really, how do we just reach to that core trust that our person has our back no matter what? And try not to, what is it, sweat the little stuff. So thank you for you, for your story, for your wellness now. I'm so grateful that you're here and a part of our family. And as always, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Your relationship deserves it. Bye-bye. Bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.